With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome in to another brand new episode of Sports Court. And as always, I'd like to thank you for listening, however, and wherever you may be listening. iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Chromecast, anywhere that you may be listening to my voice right now, more than likely we are available for you there on that platform. We have a semi-packed show for you today on a Wednesday, but before we get into any of the biggest stories surrounding the world of sports, hopefully you're having a great start to your Wednesday and as always, thank you once again for being tuned in with me. Want to get straight into some news for you. And I first want to start off by discussing Japan beating Team USA last night by a score of 3-2 to two in the World Baseball Classic. If you didn't get an opportunity to watch that event, I'm telling you, you missed a treat. The one player that was on full display for the entire world to see would happen to have been Shohei Otani. I think it's pretty safe to say that when we think about baseball players in today's game that are polarizing, Shohei Otani is right up there in that group. And he was a integral part in Japan being able to win the World Baseball Classic. Very fun event. The commissioner himself, Rod Manford, even came out yesterday and said that the World Baseball Classic will return in 2026. So, Looking forward to that, and I'm looking forward to the upcoming MLB season. Hopefully you are as well. All right, want to dive straight into it. Don't want to waste too much of your time on today. I want to start by talking about a situation that has been brewing for a very long time now, and the person that it involves has finally come out and spoken his piece about the entire situation. So Jalen Brown did a extensive interview with Logan Murdoch of The Ringer. And if you haven't read the article that I'm referring to, when you get some free time, it's a very great read for you if you enjoy reading sports articles. So the article is entitled, Jalen Brown is Trying to Find a Balance. And the title is pretty indicative of where Jalen Brown is at this point in his life and his career. Basically, this article goes deep into who Jalen Brown happens to be when it comes to his basketball career and his social activism. 
I'm pretty sure as a lot of you may well know that Jalen Brown does a lot of things in the community to try to uplift people of color and things of that nature. So Jalen Brown is not only a bona fide basketball player, but he's a legitimate social activist. But there was something in his article that caught the basketball world by storm. So Logan Murdoch asked Jalen Brown during the interview in the article about his long-term commitment to the Boston Celtics. And I'm pretty sure, as you may well know also, Jalen Brown has been the subject of a lot of trade talks over the past few years since he's been a member of the Boston Celtics, most notably involving his teammate Jason Tatum's close friend Kevin Durant. So Jalen Brown used this article as an opportunity to set the record straight about where he stands as it pertains to him being a Celtic for life. And I quote, I don't know. As long as I'm needed, it's not up to me. We'll see how they feel about me over time and how I feel about them over time. Hopefully, whatever it is, it makes sense. But I will stay where I'm wanted. I will stay where I'm needed and treated correct. That last part hits home. Because when you think about Jalen Brown, what has the Boston Celtics expected from him year in and year out? For him to consistently evolve and improve his game. And Jalen Brown has done just that. In his eight years, or eight seasons in Boston rather, every single season Jalen Brown has improved. And when you look at what he's doing this season, he's averaging nearly 27 points a game, averaging nearly seven rebounds, three assists, and a steal. So right now, the Boston Celtics have a legitimate co-star to go along with Jason Tatum. And I've said this on podcasts before, can't remember which episode it may have been, but there are times when you watch the Boston Celtics play that you ask yourself, who's really the number one player on this team? Because there are games in which Jalen Brown takes over that Jason Tatum takes a back seat. And there's also games in which Jason Tatum takes the front row seat and Jalen Brown takes the back seat. But one of the things that has always rubbed me the wrong way about the Boston Celtics is something that Jalen Brown referred to in the article. When it was announced in the sports media landscape that the Boston Celtics were in the business of trying to acquire Kevin Durant when he first announced that he was requesting a trade from the Brooklyn Nets, the Boston Celtics wanted to be players in that trade agreement. As it goes back to the point that I just made earlier about Jason Tatum and Kevin Durant being close friends, Jalen Brown also mentioned that in the article as well. And I quote, KD and JT are friends. They was working out together and whatnot. So I wasn't sure what the energy was. I wasn't sure what the direction of the organization was. Anytime you have a player of Jalen Brown's ability, you want to try to keep him in your building for as long as you can. But at every single turn, the Boston Celtics have made it perfectly clear that in the event that a better player comes available, they have no problem shipping away Jalen Brown for whatever it may cost. And there was a point throughout the article in which Jalen Brown pretty much indicated that his trust of the organization isn't at its all-time highest as it once used to be. He referred to it as they'll come in your face and tell you that they love you and then go behind your back and trade you a week later. And that's the business of the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, etc. Jalen Brown taking this neutral approach 
to his future in Boston is the approach that I feel a lot of professional athletes should take. There should never get a point in time to where you feel comfortable in your current situation because at any given point, things can change. I'll tell you a common example. A few years ago, when Tyrese Halliburton came out and said that he wanted to help improve the culture of the Sacramento Kings. And a few days later, what did the Sacramento Kings do? Trade him away to Indianapolis to get back Dominitas, Sabonis, and a few other picks and players. So basically, you can't become attached to a team or a franchise and think that that's where you're going to play for the remainder of your career. Jalen also brought up in the article, he talked about how Michael Jordan didn't retire as a Chicago Bull, how he retired as a Wizard, and he went on and gave different examples about guys who don't finish where they're started. So there's something that needs to be addressed because there are Celtics fans out there that feels the way that I'm about to explain. There are some Celtics fans who are disappointed in Jalen Brown being noncommittal about his future in Boston. Because when you look at his current contract, it's set to run out next year. I have this to say, and I don't mean to be disrespectful with this, but just bear with me where I'm trying to go here. Why should Jalen Brown be committed to a team that has never been truly committed to him. Now, of course, Brad Stevens will come out and say all the right things about Jalen, but do you really believe in your heart of hearts that Brad Stevens means every word that he says about Jalen? Because we all know who the Celtics wants to build around. They want to build around Jason Tatum. And when they finally figure out who they can build Jason Tatum up with to get him a championship, you better believe that they'll have no problem shipping away Jalen Brown for whatever cost that that may be. So I really don't have a problem with Jalen Brown being noncommittal about his future in Boston because Boston has been noncommittal about his future with the team ever since they started engaging in this business of talking to teams about potentially trading him to get someone else. Everything that Jalen Brown has been asked to do since he stepped onto that court for the first time in a Celtics uniform, he's done. He's been an all-star. He's been in the conversation for being one of the best players in the NBA. And night in and night out, he's going to give you consistency. And this is a Celtics team that's right now in the middle of potentially going back to the NBA Finals for a second consecutive season. So wouldn't you be butthurt too if the team that you go out night in and night out play your ass off for, every time trade talks come up, your name is mentioned. You would be mad too. You would be pissed off too. Because there is no loyalty coming from that organization when it pertains to your future. But we shouldn't be surprised because for the majority of us, that's kind of how life is. We have people in our lives that acts the same way the Boston Celtics acts towards Jalen Brown. They're never loyal. They'll never commit to you. They'll never tell you what you need to know. They'll always tell you what you want to hear. So it shouldn't come as a surprise to any of us that the Boston Celtics are doing Jalen Brown this way. Because for some of us, we have people in our lives that do the exact same thing. Except we can't go and scope out a Logan Murdoch of the ringer or Shams of the athletic and sit down and talk to him about it because we still have real life things to do. So here's the question. What's in the cards for Jalen Brown's future? Exactly what he said in the article. Whatever happens, it happens. And there's always been this interesting dichotomy between 
Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum. I don't know about you, but I've never truly looked at them as being friends. Now, let me stop and let me backtrack. I'm not trying to say that every great NBA duo should be friends because I'm pretty sure the friendship between Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen at this point is beyond repair. But they've never really shown a willingness, so to speak, to be friends. Now, when you're out there on the court, you'll do anything that you have to do to coexist with somebody for the greater goal. And the greater goal for the Celtics is to raise another banner in TD Garden. But there has been times where you could look at their body language and tell that while they may be friends, they're not the closest of friends. They're just willing to go out there on the court and battle with each other for the common good. And there were numerous Celtics players that were interviewed in this Ringer article. And one of the players that were interviewed was Marcus Smart. And he talked about how Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum They're friends, but they're not friends in the way that you and I would expect them to be friends. But for them, as long as they go out there on that floor every night and get the job done, that's all that really matters. If Jalen Brown next year were to walk away from the Celtics, the Celtics will have no one to blame but themselves. Because when you've had an opportunity, numerous opportunities actually, to be committed to Jalen Brown long term you squandered every possible opportunity you've allowed him to hear and see his name being mentioned in trade discussions but yet he's done everything you've asked of him to do in a Celtic uniform so if he decides to leave and goes to a team where he's wanted and treated correctly the Boston Celtics have no one to blame but themselves because you put trying to build around Jason Tatum as being the most important things to your franchise. And in the process, you let a guy walk who's been a very integral part of how the Celtics have been able to identify themselves in the past few years. So the bottom line is that when you think about everything that has transpired with Jalen Brown, the article in itself, even the title, Jalen Brown is trying to find a balance. Not only is he trying to find a balance between his basketball life and his social activism work, but I feel that Jalen Brown is also trying to find a balance within himself as it pertains to what's going to be the next step in his career. Because believe me, I believe that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown can coexist. I also believe that Jalen Brown enjoys being a Boston Celtic. But I think that a lot of that joy is, has started to evaporate over the years based upon things that he's been hearing coming from that organization. So if he walks. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Celtics have to look themselves in the mirror and ask themselves, why did they allow it to happen? You allowed it to happen because... You wanted someone else better to go alongside Jason Tatum. 
And here's something else to take into consideration before we move on. If Jalen Brown next year decides to walk away and the Boston Celtics were never able to trade for Kevin Durant, how do you think that that's going to go over with those Boston Celtics fans? You let one guy walk out the door and you never had an opportunity to go out and acquire the guy that you wanted. There will be a lot of pissed off Boston Celtics fans in that Boston market. No pun intended. I feel for Jalen. I truly do. Because when you give your all to a team and they don't give their all to you, it hurts differently. The same thing how it goes in life. When you give your all to a person and they don't give their all to you, it hurts. But at the end of the day, you get up, dust yourself off, and you move on. Nothing in this world is meant to last forever. Relationships, friendships, job, money, whatever. Everything in this life isn't meant to last forever. And it surely seems when you listen to Jalen Brown talk and when you read what he has to say in articles, it clearly seems that Jalen Brown is at a point to where, and he even said it in the Ringer article, he says that he's at a place in his life where he's enjoying the now. Whatever happens in the future happens. But I think sometimes we get a little bit sidetracked when we think about where we're at. For some of us, we don't enjoy the now. We're always focused on either things that we can't control that happened in the past or things that we can't see up ahead in the future. That's what allows us to become sort of disillusioned with what's happening in the present. And for some of us, even when we go into the future, we're still unclear about what we're supposed to be doing because we never focused on the present that's going to get us to that said future. Listen, I'll throw one more thing at you before we move on. If the Celtics allow Jalen Brown to walk away from this and the Celtics never win an NBA championship with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum as a duo, how poorly will that reflect on that Boston Celtics front office? Arguably the greatest duo right now in the NBA, and they couldn't get the job done. But once again, they have no one to blame but themselves. Because you're not always going to get a Jalen Brown that's just going to fall out the sky and miraculously land in your hands, and you can just put him on the court, and he can just take over like that. Doesn't happen all the time. But it's crazy that way. It's very, very crazy to think that someone of his caliber can even still be mentioned in trade discussions. Although he's done everything, everything that the Celtics have asked as far as it pertains to his game. You don't hear about him getting in any trouble. You don't hear about him being caught up with the wrong crowd. He's an admirable guy. That comes, plays his heart out, and leaves it all out there on the floor. But one thing that we know for certain about professional sports is that if we already know that the NFL stands for not for long, then the NBA should have that same connotation added to its brand as well. But that all goes back to my point that nothing in this world lasts forever. All right. 
Speaking of nothing lasts forever, I want to talk about another situation that caught my attention yesterday. So, as we pretty well may know, last season for the San Francisco 49ers was a disaster at the quarterback position. Trey Lance gets injured in week two. Jimmy G steps back into the fold. He gets injured against the Miami Dolphins. Brock Purdy steps in, leads him all the way to the NFC Championship game. He gets hurt in the first possession of the game. So the situation at quarterback for the Niners in 2022 was very disastrous. But the Niners had someone in mind to come in and fill their quarterback void during this very interesting period of their season. And the guy that they had in mind was former Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback and future Hall of Famer Big Ben Roethlisberger. So Big Ben was on a radio show recently, 105.9 The X, and he talked about the San Francisco 49ers engaging him to see where he was at as it pertained to making a comeback and playing for them this past season. And here's Roethlisberger's quote to Mark Madden of 105.9 The X. And I quote, I was really comfortable with my decision. He's referring to retirement. Last year, there was some truth to the Niners thing, just in the sense that they were reaching out just to maybe gauge my interest. He then went on to say in the interview, I had conversations with my agent, with my wife, my family. I'd be lying if I didn't say that there was a small part of me that was intrigued. I could still do it and prove to people that I could still play. At the end of the day, I just couldn't see myself in any other than black and gold, end quote. So let's take this and let's dive into it a little bit. Ben Roethlisberger retired in January of last year. And I'm pretty sure we all saw Ben Roethlisberger in that 2021 campaign take a massive step back. Ben Roethlisberger was not the same quarterback in 2021 that he was when he first entered the league back in 2003. And even during his prime in that 08-09 period when Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers won another Super Bowl, Ben Roethlisberger had taken a massive step back. The the San Francisco 49ers reaching out to, at that time, a 40-year-old Ben Roethlisberger It goes to show you how bad their quarterback conundrum had gotten out in the Bay Area to where they had to reach out to someone who didn't put up stellar numbers in 2021 to just come and fill the void. Now, I know you might be saying to yourself, well, what's the big bad problem with them going out trying to entice Big Ben to come back if only thing they needed him for was a season until their quarterback room got healthy? I'm not saying that it's a bad thing, but what I'm saying is, is that The 49ers should have saw what Ben Roethlisberger did in the 2021 campaign, and that should have gave them a little bit of a blueprint as to what he had remaining in the tank. Listen, every time a guy steps away from a sport, in those first couple of years, they always tell themselves that they can still come back and play at any given point because you've just recently retired. Now, the only people that breaks this mold would happen to be Chad Ochocinco and Terrell Owens. Terrell Owens is in his late 40s, early 50s, and he's still talking about he can play. Now, don't get me wrong. When you see T.O., it looks like he still can play. And Ocho Cinco is the exact same way. But Ben Roethlisberger saying that he believed that he could still play 
And he then talked about in the article is that a small part of him does miss being out there on that field on Sundays. With the beating that he took in his career, would you truly trust that Ben Roethlisberger could have stayed healthy long enough to guide the 49ers where they wanted to be? Now that brings up another question because I'm pretty sure that there are some that are asking this question. Would Ben Roethlisberger have been able to step into this conversation and lead the Niners to a Super Bowl? Considering the outcome of the NFC Championship game, if you had any competent quarterback out there that wasn't hurt, I believe that they would have put up a stronger fight against Philadelphia, but that's all I'm willing to say. Because there was something different about the Eagles that day that wasn't there for the Niners. Now, let's let's throw fact with fact. Ben Roethlisberger is a bona fide Hall of Famer. Now, there are some transgressions that have happened in his career that would make some people skeptical about calling him a Hall of Famer. But when you look at what he did on the field, plus his two Super Bowl rings, and considering the fact that he rewrote the Steelers' record book when it pertained to the quarterback position, yes, he's a Hall of Famer. Now, Eli Manning, we can discuss that a little bit differently. But the Niners reaching out to gauge Roethlisberger's interest just goes to show you how bad their quarterback situation was in 2022. And there's something to be said about Kyle Shanahan. Because when you think about And Ben Roethlisberger came into the league in 2004, by the way. I apologize if I said 2003. There's something to be said about Kyle Shanahan and his offense. Everywhere he's gone as the offensive coordinator and head coach, his quarterbacks always are injured. So I don't know if that's just bad luck on his part or that's just the offensive system that he happens to run, but everywhere he goes, a quarterback gets injured. And especially... When you think about how ferocious defenses are now, not trying to take anything away from the early 2000s era's defenses when you could actually still play defense, but these guys now are more athletic, they're more gaugy, they can get off the line of scrimmage quicker. Do you believe that, honestly, do you believe that Ben Roethlisberger would have been able to endure a season in which guys are just coming at him left, right, and sideways? Now, the Niners had one of the best offensive lines in the league. That would have given him a little bit of time to stand back there and throw. But I sincerely believe that Ben Roethlisberger wouldn't have done any more for the Niners than Brock Purdy, Jimmy G, and Trey Lance had already done. The outcome may have still been the same for their season. They may have still made it all the way to the NFC Championship game and lost. And... Even if they would have made the Super Bowl, do you do you or anyone that you know believes that they would have beaten Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs? That's just something to take into consideration. It goes to show you how many options that the Niners had at quarterback and how much of an urgent need that they had at the quarterback position where they go and reach out to Big Ben Roethlisberger. So, Hopefully in 2023, they won't have that problem and they can start whoever may win the quarterback job. I still think that 
Trey Lance has to show the Niners something because of everything that they invested in him. But a lot of Niners fans will tell you that they're over this Trey Lance era. They're ready to see what Brock Purdy can do long term. Going back to a point that I made some episodes ago, it would be nice if you want to start Brock Purdy long term. But I feel that the Niners front office has invested so much and Trey Lance to where you want to get a decent return for your investment. That's the reason why the Green Bay Packers, in a sense, are ready to move on from Aaron Rodgers so that they can see what Jordan Love can do. Because there were a, there was a lot of chatter going on throughout the NFL world when the San Francisco 49ers traded up to get Trey Lance, and there was a lot of chatter around Green Bay about why the Packers felt the need to go out and draft Jordan Love. Teams have to prepare for the day in which their main quarterback either walks out the door or gets injured. That's the reason why the Saints have taken so long to find their franchise quarterback after Drew Brees retired. That's the reason why the Steelers are still looking for their franchise quarterback after Big Ben left. New England, Tom Brady left. Some people are still out on Mac Jones. So it's time to see for a full duration of a season what Trey Lance can do in that Niners offense. Hey, I like what Bryce Purdy did for the Niners last season more than the next guy. But do you believe that the Niners would risk sitting the third overall pick in his draft class and play Mr. Irrelevant? Or do you believe Mr. Irrelevant will return back to the bench and they'll see what they have in their third overall pick? A lot of people, if this Trey Lance thing in San Francisco goes awry, there would be a lot of people within the circle of the NFL that would be looking at the Niners saying that they may have made one of the, I don't want to call it dumb, but they would have made one of the crazy. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Easiest decisions in the history of the NFL trading up that high to get a guy that never started for a full season for their team. At least Tua, on the other hand, from Miami, at least Tua has been able to start double-digit games in his career. We're still waiting to see that from Trey Lance. But Big Ben being courted by the Niners to come in and fill a void. Never in a million years would I have had that on my 2023 bingo card. All right. Speaking of a bingo card, let's move over to the world of tennis. Rafa Nadal will return next month for the Monte Carlo Masters. And according to the director of the tournament, when it was announced that players can start registering for the event, Rafa was the first guy to put his name in the entry list. So this tournament will run from April 7th until April the 15th. And I'm pretty sure we all know, those of us that are tennis fans, how great Rafa Nadal is on the clay court surface. So a little bit of a backstory as to how we've gotten to this point. Back in January at the Australian Open, Rafa Nadal tweaked his hip in the match 
against Mackenzie McDonald. Mackenzie McDonald then went on to beat Rafa in straight sets, and he hasn't played another match since then. He's dropped all the way down to number 13 in the rankings, his lowest ranking since 2003. 2005, pardon me. So obviously the question would have to go, what will Rafa do upon his return to the tennis circuit? And I think when you look at Rafa's career and when you look at how dominant he's been on the clay court surface, this is the best litmus test that Rafa could have for his return. What do I mean when I say that? The clay court swing before Roland Garros will be a great indicator to decide where Rafa is in his recovery. Now, hopefully, Rafa is in a much better place than he was in that clip that was posted online a few weeks ago when Rafa was hitting balls during a practice session and he really had no movement. He wasn't really trying to put too much weight on his body. He was just standing still, basically. Hopefully, he's past that point and he's able to put a lot of weight on his body and in his hip. But I think considering where we're at in this pivotal point of the 2023 tennis season, Rafa's going to have to make a strong statement at Monte Carlo. He's going to have to make a strong statement in Rome. And if he decides to play Madrid as well, all of those strong starts would culminate, if you're a Rafa fan, with a victory at Roland Garros. Now, for the first time in a long time, I think it's pretty fair to say that the draw at Roland Garros on the men's side is as wide open as it has ever been during Rafa's run at the event. Because now you have Carlos Alcaraz, who's ascended once again to world number one. You have Novak Djokovic, who's coming back after missing Indian Wells in Miami. And your other guys who are still capable of dominating these clay court events, Daniil Medvedev, Stesano Sissipas, Sasha Zverev, Matteo Berrettini, Yannick Sinner, Felix Ojeali-Azim. You still have all of those guys that can still compete on the clay court surface and potentially win titles as well. So what do I mean by a strong clay court campaign leading up to the French Open? I'm not trying to say that Rafa has to win every single event that he enters, but he has to at least make it to the quarterfinal, semifinal stages of these events. Because one thing that we know about Rafa, heading into the French Open, that's where he's most comfortable on the tour. Because he's basically won the bulk of his Grand Slams at the French. Last year, when he played Casper Ruud in the final at the French, I don't think anyone truly had any doubts that he could win it. He basically dismantled Casper Ruud in three three straight sets and won the event. This year, however, if you were to tell me that Casper Ruud and Rafa Nadal were playing each other at this year's French Open, I think I would have to give the slight edge to Casper Ruud. Now, Casper Ruud hasn't gotten off to a great start this year, but Given what we know about Rafa's injury and given what we know about Rafa, the slow starts in tournaments that he's gotten off to as of late, I really wouldn't put too much weight behind Rafa right now. 
But if he goes to the French and if he shocks all of us, I think that that would set him up perfectly heading into the summer, Wimbledon, and into the fall with the U.S. Open and the Paris Masters. But this clay court swing that we're about to go into on the tennis circuit will be the litmus test for not only Rafa, but for his team and for the men's tennis circuit to dictate where he's at as far as his fitness level. Because nobody's picking him right now to be the overwhelming favorite at the French Open like people usually do. And one thing you don't do with great players is count them out too early. People counted Brady out too early, came back. People counted Federer out in 2016, came back in 2017, and took three of the four majors. Two of the four majors. People have counted out Djokovic for missing all this time based upon not being vaccinated. And look at what he was able to do once he was able to re-enter Melbourne this past January. All I'm saying is, is that when you think about Rafa and you think about where he's at at this point in his career, you and I know that Rafa doesn't have too much longer left on this tour. But he's going to take advantage of every opportunity in front of him and make sure that when he goes out, he goes out with a bang. Because I'm pretty sure he looked at Roger Federer last year and said to himself, he doesn't want to go out the exact same way. Federer had to retire, not because he wanted to, but because his body told him, hey, it's time. I'm pretty sure that Rafa wants to go out when Rafa wants to go out. The same with Novak. Hell, even Andy Murray. I'm pretty sure Andy Murray wants to go out when Andy Murray wants to, not when his hip tells him, hey, it's time to go. I wouldn't count out Rafa too early because he's come back and demonstrated his will to win, overcoming adversity, overcoming injury, overcoming self-doubt. So if you want to write Rafa off before the French gets here, be my guest. But if he goes into that event and has a strong finish or wins the thing outright, you can come back here and you can listen to what I had to say. Now, if he doesn't go into the French and has a strong tournament, I'll come on here and admit that I was wrong. But it still doesn't take away from his greatness. And it sucks. At this point in these guys career, they're dealing with injuries the way that they are. Because Federer, a lot of fans believe, was taken away from the game too early due to his knee injuries. And now we're starting to see injuries become more prevalent in Rafa's career. Now, Novak is a little bit different. Novak's body has held up better than Rafa's and Rogers because Novak is a very different athlete. Novak is very careful. Well, I'm not saying that Federer and Nadal aren't, but Rafa the, Novak is very careful what he eats. He tries to stay away from having major surgeries. I think the last major surgery he had was back in 2017 when he had to have shoulder surgery, and from that point he had to retweak his serve. And I think now when you look at Novak's serve, it's stronger now than it was before the surgery. But you don't want to see Rafa's career end the way that Rogers' career ended. We want to see Novak and Rafa retire when they are ready. 
not when injuries force them to step aside. But I think he's still one of the best players on the tour. He's arguably he's an all-time great. Won't even have to really argue that. But right now, if I had to put money on someone in this circuit, Rafa still is big billing. And Rafa can still get the job done even though he's coming off of an injury and although he's getting older and people are starting to doubt what can he do as he gets ready to enter into age 37. Wouldn't count him out. He's still one of the best. Would not count him out at all. Speaking of one of the best, let's shift gears and let's talk about the NBA. So, obviously, we're getting close to the end of the NBA regular season. And one of the biggest discussions that is taking place in the NBA right now isn't who will be the one seed in the East, who will be the one seed in the West, which team is going to get put out of the play-in tournament, who's going to win defensive player of the year, offensive player of the year, rookie of the year. None of those discussions are as loud as the discussion that's taking place as it pertains to the MVP award. Who should win the league's MVP? Should it be Nikola Jokic? Should it be Joel Embiid? Should it be Giannis Antetokounmpo? Should it be Jason Tatum? Whoever you think should be the league's MVP. Now, Everybody has their differing opinions. I told you that I like to stay away from these types of discussions because you can't really have an open discussion with anyone when it comes to MVP awards and when it comes to the greatest basketball player of all time. Those are arguments and debates that I choose to refrain from ever giving my opinion of because more likely than not, there will be someone who will not agree with your point, and they won't disagree with you and have an open conversation. They'll disagree with you and try to lambast you for having the opinion that you have. So that's the reason why I stay away from those. And plus, it's pointless to debate the greatest basketball player of all time, especially if you listen to the 100th episode, you get where I'm going with that. I'm not going to sit up here and reiterate that. But this discussion is about the MVP award. And I want to talk about one guy in particular, Joel Embiid. And I have a question to ask. Which award do you think matters to Joel Embiid the most? Winning the MVP award of the regular season or bringing a championship back to Philadelphia? Because let's let's have this honest conversation for a few minutes. I believe in my heart of hearts that Joel Embiid would rather have an NBA title brought back to the city of Philadelphia rather than an MVP award. Because one of the things that we know about the NBA is that when you retire and you're an all-time great, you're judged on how much winning you did. Nobody talks about how many MVP awards, Jordan, Kobe, Bill Russell, those guys. Nobody talks about how many MVP awards they had. The discussion that always centers around an NBA great is how many championships were they able to win. For some, that's the reason why people believe that when Damian Lillard decides to retire, that's the reason why a lot of people believe that he won't be highly thought of because he's never won a championship. But that's a different discussion for another day in itself. Joel Embiid, for all intensive purposes, happens to be 
in my estimation, the league's MVP. We can agree to disagree on that, but I believe wholeheartedly that Joel Embiid's the league MVP. Because the award in itself, most valuable player, and I told you what I like to do when I think about that discussion. If you were to take Joel Embiid away from the Philadelphia 76ers, would they still be the team that they happen to be right now? If you take Nikola Jokic away from the Denver Nuggets, would they still be the same team that they are right now? Granted, they are not winning a lot of basketball games as of late, but who matters more to their team? I think Joel Embiid matters more to the 76ers than Jokic Jokic does to the Nuggets. But I believe that the mission is bigger than just winning the MVP. Now that Joel Embiid has a legitimate co-star in James Harden, and plus you still have the other guys around him, you still have a Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey. You have those guys in the rotation, and you have a championship-winning head coach in Doc Rivers. Anything short of a championship in the Joel Embiid era is not good enough for those fans in Philadelphia. That's the reason why I feel in his heart of hearts, Joel Embiid would rather have a title than an MVP award. Now, the MVP award would be nice. It fills up the trophy case, but titles are what matters when we think about all-time greats. When we look back on his career 15, 20 years from now, Nobody's going to talk about how he was slighted for the MVP award. We will be talking about what he was able to do on the biggest stage in the sport. And that's the NBA finals. Because regardless of what you think about his game, regardless if you think he's a crybaby, he complains too much, he takes plays off, regardless of those things. If the championships don't appear in Philadelphia, Everything that he did out there on that floor, basically to Sixers fans, becomes null and void. Because he wasn't able to deliver on the biggest thing that matters to basketball fans. And that's bringing a title back to their respective city. And if you were telling us, Sixers front office people, to trust the process, when are we, when are we finally going to start seeing the end results of trusting in the process? Now, I'm not a Sixers fan by any stretch of the imagination, and I try to stay as unbiased as I can on this podcast, except when I talk about the Florida Gators. But even when I talk about them, I try to remain as objective as I can. Sixers fans a long time ago were told to trust the process. Basically, we are six, seven, eight years removed away from the process beginning. When are the, when are the Sixers fans going to start seeing results? Titles. Now, I'll throw this discussion at you. Let's have this talk. If Joel Embiid retired from the NBA and only won one championship or made it to the NBA finals and lost a heartbreaking game seven in the closing seconds. How would you look at his career? Would you say that he had a great career or would you say that he had a career filled with what ifs? Because some people will use the argument that in the early part of his career, when he missed all those games due to various injuries and whatnot, that squandered his opportunity to make it to the NBA finals and it squandered his opportunity 
to do other great things on the court. That's the reason why the championship conversation to me is more important than the MVP conversation. Because right now, Joel Embiid is arguably the best big man in the game. But even with that being said, the championships are what matters. Nobody talks about Shaq dominating the MVP discussions, although he had one taken from him in 2006 with Steve Nash, but once again, an entirely different story. We talk about Shaq because he and Kobe were able to win championships, went to the Miami Heat, won championship. We talk about Bill Russell, championships. We talk about Wilt, championship. Although we talk about more of his scoring abilities than his championships, We don't talk about MVPs. We don't talk about how many points you were able to score throughout the duration of your career. We talk about how many times did you make it to the pinnacle of your sport and how many times were you able to win it. And if you go back to our 100th episode that we did, I told you one of my criterias for the GOAT discussion was how many times did you make it to the pinnacle of your sport? You can't sit here and tell me that you're the greatest of all time and you didn't make it to the pinnacle of your sport but one time. You got to make it there at least two or three times to be considered in that discussion. For all of those reasons withstanding, that's the reason, those are the reasons why I feel Joel Embiid would rather have a championship than an MVP award. Because with that title, all the people that don't have belief in what he's able to do, those people will slowly but surely start to quiet down. That's the reason why I feel it's vital for Kevin Durant to win a championship on a team that's not already established. Because if Kevin Durant were to go to the Orlando Magic and guide those young guys to a title, I believe that that title would resonate more with fans than any title that he won in Golden State. Now, Those fans in Philly already embrace Joel Embiid based on what he's able to do on the court. But they will embrace him even more if he brings a championship to that city. When you think about the major teams in Philadelphia, the Eagles made it to the Super Bowl this past season. The Philadelphia Flyers are, anyway, the 76ers, they're on the cusp of doing great things as far as the finals and whatnot. And then you have Temple, the college. Haven't really done anything noteworthy. So right now, it's the Eagles and the Sixers that are driving those Philadelphia sports fans insane. And I'm not saying that in a bad way, but based upon what those two clubs have been able to do with their recent success, it gives those Philly fans cause to be optimistic about the future of both of those teams. Now, if John Totorola and that front office with the Philadelphia Flyers can get there, you know what together, then the Flyers can go back to being somewhat relevant in that Philadelphia market. But one thing's for certain as we get ready to move on, championships matter. And if Joel Embiid wins a championship, 
with the Philadelphia 76ers. I think that that would mean more to him and more to his legacy than any MVP award that he wins. All right. Time for the final verdict for today. And I know I told you yesterday that we were going to discuss divisional winners only winning eight or nine games and why that pisses me off. But we'll save that final verdict for another time. There's something else that I want to discuss with you today in the final verdict. And then we're going to get out of here. So yesterday we did the episode and I went on about my day. And I found out later that Cam Newton was going to take part in Auburn's Pro Day. And he was going to throw for all 32 teams that were in attendance at Auburn's Pro Day. Listen. There's something about Cam Newton at this point in his career that makes it almost seems as though he's trying to beg NFL teams to allow him back into the orbit. Cam Newton is a classic case study of what it means for a player to have a meteoric rise only to have a meteoric fall. When Cam Newton led the Carolina Panthers to a 15-1 record and a Super Bowl appearance in 2015, He was the toast of the NFL. Everybody, every GM, every coach, every offensive coordinator was looking for the next Cam Newton. But slowly but surely, as the years progressed and Cam Newton started to get older and Cam Newton started to become injured more often and Cam Newton started to require more surgeries than before, then and only then did teams start to fall out of love with the former MVP former first overall draft pick, and Heisman Trophy winner. Cam Newton yesterday at the Auburn Pro Day put on a show. But that's to be expected for a guy that understands that that may have been his last chance to get back into the NFL. Cam Newton went from being a legitimate starter in Carolina to a backup that has bounced around the league. You saw what Cam did in his season in New England, and you saw what he did when he went back to Carolina. Cam Newton is a shell of what he used to be and not because of his own doing, but because of his body. Cam Newton basically is the definition of what it means for your body to start turning against you. All the surgeries and everything that has transpired since then. We all remember the COVID issue when he was a member of the New England Patriots. And we all remember him getting benched by Matt Rule when he decided to go back to Carolina. Cam Newton's meteoric rise in the NFL and his then meteoric fall should be a message to players in this league that one minute people love you, the next minute they don't. It goes back to what we discussed at the top of the show today about Jalen Brown. When he talked about one minute, the front office is telling you how much they love you. And then the next minute, they're talking about trading you the next week. Do I believe that Cam Newton still has something left in the tank to prove? Yes, I do. But at the same time, Cam Newton isn't the hot commodity that he thinks he once used to be. And a lot of what has happened to Cam Newton and the reason why he feels that he can come back into the NFL and start. All of those things are based on what he did seven, eight years ago. Cam Newton has not been the same quarterback ever since he won the league's MVP. 
And I've even said numerous times, whether it's to people that I interact with on my day to day life or whether it's been here on podcast, I have said that Cam Newton has not been the same quarterback ever since Von Miller stripped that ball from him in Super Bowl 50. Since that point, Cam Newton has basically regressed as a starting quarterback. There should have been enough writing on the wall for Cam to understand that his time in the league is up. When Ron Rivera, his former coach in Carolina, who's the current coach in Washington, didn't want to bring him in to be the quarterback up there. And they went with Carson Wentz. And we all saw what kind of catastrophe Carson Wentz brought to the Washington Commanders. So at the end of the day, Cam Newton coming out of Auburn was a generational talent. But just like with so many other generational talents that have come into the league, it's not his own doing that caused him to fall. It was his body starting to break down and turn against him, which ultimately caused Cam Newton to become what he is today. And that's a former great quarterback who's trying to earn one last opportunity to make it into the NFL. And even if he does make it back into the NFL, there is no guarantee that he will ever be a starter with any team that he goes to. Because every other team in the NFL right now has their quarterback situation figured out. Except for potentially the Falcons, which is Cam Newton's home team, him being from the Atlanta area, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, even though they signed Baker Mayfield. The only two teams right now that have a quandrum at their quarterback position would happen to be the Green Bay Packers because they're not willing to move off of Aaron Rodgers without significant compensation from the Jets and the situation that we all know about in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson. Cam Newton's options are basically limited. And even if he were to make it onto an NFL roster, how many of you out there truly believe that he would be able to turn around the fortunes of a franchise? Cam Newton has to understand that this isn't 2015 anymore. This is 2023. And just like with the world that we live in, the NFL revolves around trends and what have you done for me lately. And Cam Newton hasn't done anything noteworthy in this league as of late. And just like with trends, trends go out of style, just like players go out of style in respective sporting leagues. And that's going to conclude this episode of Sports Court. Thank you for listening. We will be right back here again on Friday with another brand new episode. And don't forget, Sundays, we will be dropping our What If episode on the podcast page. Until Friday, have a great rest of your Wednesday. Take care and God bless.